are here. Good morning. It's good to be with all of you. Uh, it's always good to be with my church family. And if you're watching online, hey, glad you're uh, tuned in as well. If you're a guest, welcome. So glad that you are here. And uh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody, uh, to all of you. Um, uh, many of you know uh, that today we, we're wrapping up our, our series, uh, Choosing Joy. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Philippians together. We're going to be wrapping that up today. Uh, but next week, hey, we're kicking off a new series called Suit Up. And we are going to be uh, dealing with the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. Uh, how do we equip ourselves to live the victorious life? Because that, that is what Jesus wants for each and every one of us. And so uh, we'll kick that series off next week, and I, I hope you'll, 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 you'll be back for that. Uh, but as I said, this morning we're going to wrap up the Choosing Joy series. And, and I don't know, as I was studying this passage this week, this might be the most important message or, or, or even part of, of, of Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians because he's dealing with this topic of contentment, Christian contentment. And this is something that all of us struggle with. We, we struggle with this issue of, of being contented people. We, we struggle with this thing called discontentment, even as believers. And for sometimes it's, it's based on desires and we, we just, we want things and there's things in our heart that we desire and so we don't have those things and, and so maybe we find ourselves growing discontent. Others of us, it's, it's things like we, we compare ourselves with other people, and so we look around and we see what other people have, and, and maybe I don't have what they have, or I don't have as much as they have, and so I find myself growing discontent. I mean, imagine this scenario with me. Uh, my son comes downstairs, and uh, I give him a scoop of ice cream. I take a scoop, one scoop, put it in a bowl, put it in front of my son. Then his twin sister, Kayla, comes down, but I give her two scoops of ice cream. Now, this is where Logan says, wait a minute, I only got one scoop. She got two scoops. That's not fair. Oh, you know about this. <laughs> Why did she get more than, yeah, me, than I did? Yeah, yeah, this is this, this it, and, and here's the, he, a, a moment ago, all was right in the world. He had a scoop of ice cream. Everything was good until he saw someone else had more than he did. Friends, this tells us something. You realize we live in the most prosperous time and prosperous place in all of human history. And yet we're still discontent. And yet many of us still struggle with this topic of how do we be contented people. It tells us something. It tells us our problem isn't our circumstances. The problem isn't with what's out there. The problem is in here. It's a heart issue that we've got to deal with this, this morning. Uh, because we're talking about this, this topic of contentment, I want you to start by just giving you a definition. This is from a Puritan writer named Jer Jeremiah Burroughs, and he, he wrote a book um, called uh, The Jewel, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and I just think this is a, a great definition of what I'm talking about this morning. 
He said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in a God's wise and fatherly disposal in every situation. Okay? We can just maybe leave that up for a second. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which, which trusts God in all things. Which is trust and submits to the, to the sovereign good hand of, of God. Now, who doesn't want this? I, I, I think as believers, we all want that, that contentedness, that sweetness, that quietness. And so we don't want to be disquieted. Many of us live disquieted in our soul. Many of us are troubled in our soul. Many of us are, 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 are maybe even angry or bitter in our soul. And, and what Paul's talking about, he's, he's, he's promising us something this morning. He's promising us a sweetness, a quietness that we can all experience deep in our hearts, deep in our lives. This is something we all want, but this morning we're going to see that we've got to learn some things. We've got to learn something, okay? If we're going to experience this contentment that Paul's talking about, we're going to have to learn some stuff. So I just want to jump into the text here. In in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul starts off by saying this. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So what's going on here? Uh, the Church of Philippi, we know that they were a very generous church. They loved to support Paul and his ministry financially. And so they, uh, through a man named Epaphroditus, they sent this gift to Paul that apparently he's somehow able to enjoy and use while he's in jail to comfort himself, but also to further his ministry. And so he writes that he rejoiced that they sent this gift. But he's going to tell us something in the next verse that is very important for us. This is, this is very important for us. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you might even read the text and just skip over this, and yet it's so important. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I'm not saying this, though, because I'm in need. He was in need. He was in need. But I'm not saying I rejoiced at your gift because... I was in need because I, I was already content. I mean, it's almost, it could be even insulting a little bit. Some who maybe didn't fully understand what Paul's saying here. But, but they sent him this gift, but he wants to make something crystal clear because it's so important for us. My contentedness is not based on worldly things. That's what he's saying. I want you to know, I want to go out of my way. to I am rejoicing because how God was working through you and your hearts uh, were, were, were wanting to serve God and were wanting to help me. So I rejoice in that. But my contentedness is not based on that gift you said. My, my contentedness can't be based if I'm going to have true contentedness on anything in, in this world. And see, isn't that the lie that we buy into? That we will be content when we have more. I will be content when I have. I will be a contented person based on the things I see around me and the things that I want and the things that I have. So for some of you, maybe it's a spouse, you know. I, I, I'll be content when I, when I have a spouse. You know, some of you started off with all these standards that you wanted for a spouse, and now you're maybe at the point, it's like if they have a breath, I will take them, all right? I, they pulse. I, 
But you're just like, that's the day I'm going to be content when I'm married, when I, when I have a spouse. For some of you, maybe it's a job situation. It's once I have the job, then I can be content. Then I can start rejoicing in the Lord again because that's the day I'm going to be content when my job situation. Some of you, maybe you're in a job and you're just grinding it out. And you're like, if I just had a better situation, if I just had the job that I'm that I'm wanting. So for some of you, it might be things like the dream house, the car, I don't know, you name it. For some of you, it's dealing with a trouble, a struggle, and you're like, once I get past this, that's the day I can finally be content. But here's the problem, friends. It's like we get those things. God is often good to us, and some of those things he even blesses us with, and then the next thing we know, we're discontent all over again. We're just chasing after the next thing. We just want more of the next thing. We want just better of whatever we already have. Uh, it, you know, it's, uh, I remember when Danielle and I were dating, we just said, we will be content. Like, once we get married, then we will be happy. Then we will be content. And we got married. But then it was once we finish our education and we can just get past school, that's the day we're going to be content. And then we got past school, and then we were saying, okay, now we need jobs. Once we get our job, that's when we can start being content, start being happy with, with our lives. And so then God gave us jobs. And then it was like, then once we have kids, then we will be content. And we had kids, and we were miserable. Um, but <laughs> no, I kid. I kid. But isn't it sad that, I mean, we go through our entire lives this way. It's like once I get, that's when I'm going to be content. And then you get it, and for a time you're happy, but then you're discontent again. And friends, we spend our entire life this way, and then we die. And we spend our whole lives chasing after things discontent rather than learning the secret of contentment that Paul wants to teach us about this morning. I put this in your handout if you have a handout. Really, what the root of discontentment is, it's, it's, it's idolatry. That's what it's rooted in. Idolatry, this, idolatry is simply the desiring, the, the, the appraising and valuing anything more than God. Traditionally, you'd say worshiping anything more than God. An idol is that which you, you appraise and value and desire more than God. And, and, and so this is what many of us do. We think those are the things that are going to make us happy. Those are the things that are going to satisfy our heart. Those are things, but you are so much more than the things of this world. You are so much more than the created things. You were made for more. You were made for a relationship with your God. And I'm telling you, the only thing that's going to actually satisfy the craving in your heart, the restlessness in your heart, will be a relationship with Jesus Christ. Idols will not be able to do that for you. And, and so when we start worshiping and desiring and valuing the created things more than the creator himself, we are setting ourselves up for a discontent life because those things cannot satisfy the human heart. Now, don't get me wrong. These, these things I'm talking about does not mean they're bad. Marriage is a good thing to pursue. If you're sick and you want health, that's a good thing to pursue. These things are good things to pursue. But when, when you can't rejoice through your relationship with Christ, that's when you know it has become a problem. You have become a discontented person. Something is off, and maybe there's something that you need to step back and learn that flows out of your relationship with God. Verse 12, Paul goes on to say, he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's saying whether I was lacking, even in my time of need, even when I didn't have the things that I needed, I still learned contentment. 
I, I was still a content. That quietness, that sweetness was still in my soul. How many of us would like to have that? But notice he doesn't just say that it was when he was in need he learned to be content. He also said when I, was, when I had plenty, when I had abundance, because for some people they get more and they get and they taste it and they lose their contentment because after they taste it, they want bigger, better, better, you know. It's, it's, it's that thing. It's just, and Paul is saying, like, that can be just as dangerous as being in need. Paul's teaching us here, no, I learned how to keep my contentment, how not to let those things get in the way and rob me. I mean, some of the people who have the dream house, have the nicest car, they're some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet. Because that's, the, that's what happens when we, when we put creative things on the throne of our lives. Those things can't satisfy the human heart. So it, it raises the question, Paul, what is the secret, man? Well, verse 13, listen to what he says. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, this is probably one of the most misquoted, misunderstood verses in all of the Bible what, what do most people mean when they quote this? Because we see it at sporting events, I see it at graduations, I see it all over the place. What do people mean? Here's what they mean. They mean, with God's help, I can do whatever I set my mind to. That is not what this passage is saying, though. We need to be very clear. That is not what Paul means here. That's not the context. I mean, Paul's in prison. Let's not forget, he's, he's locked up. Do you think he might not have set his mind to being freed? And he hasn't been freed. He is not saying, I can do whatever I set my mind to. No, what he's saying is, I have learned how to be content through my relationship with God, no matter what my circumstance is. That's the key. You know, I was thinking this week about a time where a, a friend of mine told me about this, this drink. It was like a tea of some kind. He, was, he told me about this drink that he wanted me to try. He said, it's the best drink you're ever going to have. And so I went, I, I chased it down. Uh, I was into these kinds of drinks at the time. And opened up the cap and took a sip. And friends, it, it, was, it was absolutely terrible, okay? Uh, it was watery. It was somewhat bitter. Uh, I did not understand what he, my friend was meaning in the hype around this, this, this drink. It even said it on the label, like the best drink or something like that, the greatest drink of all time, something like that. And, 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 but the product, the, the, what, the, the actual drink itself, the product, it did not match the packaging, it didn't, it didn't match the label, okay? The, the product didn't match the label, what was said about it. And, and, I, and I tell you this story because I just wonder today if for some of us Christians, and maybe especially for some of those of us who grew up in the church, and I hope you're going to hear my heart in this, I can't help but wonder if sometimes it seems like Christianity and your experience in the Christian life does not match up with the label. That it doesn't match up with what you thought you were stepping into. That maybe that love that you were promised and maybe that sense of hope that you were going to walk in and maybe that sense of joy that you thought you were going to have. Maybe, maybe for some of us, the product hasn't matched the label. I think there's a lot of Christians who that's been their experience. I mean, they want eternal life, so they're going to stick it through. Or, you know, they walk away. And we've known many people, kids grow up in the church, and, and they walk away because the product didn't match the lay. It didn't match what they were promised. And I just wonder if maybe, 
Maybe that's because we didn't learn what we were really supposed to learn. We, we grew up in the church and we heard some things and we heard about Jesus and we, 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 we know about these basic truths, but we didn't really learn the deeper truths, the truths that Paul calls a secret. And this morning with the rest of the time that we have, what I want to do, I want to talk about three things we need to learn that I think are part of this secret that Paul is talking about, the secret to contentment, the secret to a life that's always able to rejoice no matter what your situation is. And I'm going to deal with this first one. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on the first one. It's so important. I'll deal with the second one uh, more quickly, and then the third one I'm going to deal with very quickly, okay? And here's the first one. Um, to be content through Christ, I must learn who I am in Christ. Starts with your identity. If you're going to be learn the secret of contentment, you have first got to know who you are in in Christ. And I'm just going to be I'm just being your pastor who loves you. I hope you know every week I get up here, I want the best for every one of you. That is my heart. That's my passion. I want you to know these things. And so but so please hear me in, in proper context here. My experience, a lot of Christians, they don't know who they are in Christ. And I, and I was thinking about it this week. Why is that? And I think part of it is, again, hear my heart in this. I think it's because we use this word forgiveness a lot. Now, forgiveness is a biblical word. I'm going to keep using the word forgiveness. Jesus talks about forgiveness. Paul talks about forgiveness. But here's one of the dangers if we don't properly understand this idea of forgiven. Many of us live our lives walking around, constantly feeling guilty, constantly feeling ashamed. And so every day, every five minutes, we find ourselves going to God and saying, God, forgive me, love me, accept me. If we were to do altar calls, there'd be some of you getting up every single week and coming down to the altar call or at least desiring to, because you bought into this idea that I need to constantly be forgiven from God. I need to constantly be forgiven from God. I need to constantly be, I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I, I, I'm not performing well enough. And so I need forgiveness. And this is what many of you grew up hearing. Paul does use the language forgiveness, but understand this. When he says you have been forgiven of your sin, he's talking about past, present, and future. It's all been forgiven. He doesn't really use the language of forgiveness all that much. You know what he uses? His favorite phrase is, in Christ. That's who you are. You are in Christ. Friends, this is super important. Because some of us, we walk around so guilt-ridden. We walk around so ashamed. And Satan loves to exploit that in, in your life. He's just going to come around and he's just going to say, you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. Do more. Perform better. If you want God to love you, you better get it together. And this admit the product is not going to match the label if that's how you're living your life. Paul says we are in Christ. We are already safe in Christ. My past, present, and even future sins, God already knows about them, and he has washed them all away. So we've got to understand, okay, so what does that mean to be in Christ? I, I'm just going to, very quickly, four things this means for you. First, it means if I'm in Christ, I am righteous. <laughs> I, I am righteous. And I'm not talking about my own righteousness. 
Guys, listen. Okay. I would say 90% of Christians today do not understand the righteousness of God. 90%. And so the product's not going to match the label if you don't understand this. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, okay, he, 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 he's kind of the one who changed the world. Because up until Martin Luther, the, the common person couldn't read their Bible. It was written in Latin, so only the very educated and those who were in power could tell people what the Bible meant. And Luther was a monk, just constantly guilt-ridden. He would actually scrub the floor so clean. If I can just get the floors clean enough, maybe God will then love me, and I'll have this peace, this contentment between me and God. The floors never seemed to be able to clean enough. But then he opened his Bible, and he started reading Romans 1. He was one who could actually read Latin. And so he read Romans 1 and got to verse 17, where it talks about a righteousness that comes from God by faith. And he said it was like the windows of heaven opened and his life was forever changed. And so was the course of history. The Reformation began and what Luther was saying is, listen, church, you're doing it wrong. You're teaching it wrong. We can never be righteous in and of ourselves. We can never do enough. We can never perform well enough. This is why Jesus came. He performed for me. And I rest in that. It is the righteousness that comes from God. It is a foreign righteousness. It is an alien righteousness. And if you are in Christ, it is yours. And what that means is when God looks on you, you know what he sees? I say it all the time. We better learn it. He sees perfection. You're perfect in his sight. Not because you're so righteous. You're not but you're in Christ and Jesus is righteous and God loves his Jesus. And he credits it to your account. Oh man, what would happen? What chains might fall off our lives if we started living in that truth? You might just discover freedom for the first time. You might just discover uh, 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 rest. You might just discover a peace and a contentment that your soul hasn't known before. I... Friends, when I talk about you were counted righteous in God's sight, I mean sinner, blemishes, warts, and all. Stop walking around always with our head down, just guilt, shame, not doing enough. If you do that, Satan's going to use that against you, I promise it. No, I'm counted righteous. That's who I am in Christ. Second thing it means for me to be in Christ, it means I am a child of God. A child. I'm loved by God in a special way. Do you realize that? That's who you are? You are loved by God with a very special kind of love. The analogy I always use is... um, you know, have you ever seen the love a mother has for a baby? I mean, it's, it is a special kind of love. You can't really describe or understand even fully that, that kind of love that a mom has for a baby. And I just got to tell you, like, I, and don't judge me for this, I'm not really a baby guy. Like, I think babies are all right. I'm more like them when they can talk and, like, interact and, like, you can actually have a conversation. That's kind of the stage. I, but moms, they're just, like, upset. Like, isn't my baby beautiful? And I got to be honest, usually I'm looking going, I mean, its head's kind of bulbous. There's veins sticking out. It's wrinkly. I, I, I got to be honest. Like, I don't honestly always see the beauty of baby. I'd rather pet a puppy if I were just to be brutally honest. Don't judge me. 
But moms, like apparently when I was born, I had a cone head. I was over 10 pounds and I was like this fat, like cone-headed. And my mom just thought I was the most amazing thing she had ever seen and going around showing off. What, what, moms have this like lens through which they see their, their child that we can't even fully understand. Do you realize that God loves you with a love like that? That's why it's in, he created this, to tell you something. It's to point you to his love for you. I love you. Yes, do our children make mistakes? Do our children sometimes drive us crazy? Do our children? Yes, but they don't stop being our children. And friends, that's who you are. And when you know who you are, you know you have special status because you belong to the most high God. You are a child of the most high God. You are, you are loved with a lens that I, I'm just, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to, but it's, it, it would be wrong for me. Not to, this is a special love that only exists for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are loved with a special kind of love. You are a child of God, which brings us to the third one. You, it means I am chosen. If I'm in Christ, I am chosen. Again, I know there's a lot of people who want to have a debate about this. What does this mean? I'm chosen. I don't want to get lost and caught up in all that debate. But here's all I know. The Bible says if you are in Christ, it's because you were chosen. That's the Bible. I didn't say that. I didn't make that up. The Bible is clear. You were called. You were predestined. You were elect. Which means, because we think, oh, I chose God, I came to church, or I went to camp, or I did this, and, and then I, no, 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 God was hunting you down. Friends, think about the security that should give you. You, you aren't hanging on to God, God is hanging on to you. He wanted you before the creation of the world, the Bible teaches us. Do you, are you seeing your security? He's the one that did this. He's the one who came after you. One theologian called him the hound of heaven because he pursued us. Why, if he went through all that, would he let you go? But see, some of you live in that conditional world. Your relationship is constantly conditional because you think it's all on you. You have to do everything. You, 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 you. And you haven't learned. No, it's God who's done it. Learn to rest, church. Can we rest from all the striving? <laughs> is this not good news? This is good news. Which brings us to the last one I just want to talk about. And I could talk about so many more. If you understand all these things, now it means if I'm in Christ, I am victorious. You get to walk in victory, friends. If these things that I've just said are true for you, what in the world could Satan ever do to your soul? What can he do to you? God chose me. I'm a child of his. I have a righteousness that's not my own. He looks at me. He sees perfection. Do your best. But God promises me, whatever you do, it's just going to work out for my good in the end. So you want to piss Satan off, tell him that. He'll run, I'm telling you. Oh, I throw it in his face all the time. Tim Tebow, you know, he's a great athlete. He's been one of the people, though, who's been known to use this verse, um, Philippians 4.13. I think we even have a picture, like, where he maybe he has it written on his face. Uh, but, but, but Tim Tebow, even though, you know, a lot of athletes use this, he understood what this verse meant uh, correctly. I want to I 
give you this quote. He said, I love, I like this quote. He said, this verse is actually about contentedness in all circumstances. You know, again, I'm talking about that passage, I can do all things. He, he, he said, this verse is actually about contentedness in all circumstances. It's not about being able to throw a better pass or make a better play on the football field. It's about being content with the victory secured through Christ, whether you can even lift a football, much less throw one 50 or 60 yards like me. Oh, if we understood this, friends, it is about victory. What God has done for you, who you are, that... There is nothing, therefore, nothing, therefore, that can separate you from the love of God. Satan can never separate you from the love of God, which is what Paul concludes Romans 8 with when he says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good news for you. Have you learned this? No, have you learned this? The victory that you have, and you know, at the end of the... Our, our service today, we're going to see some people getting baptized and, and they're going to be going into the water. And this is a symbolic act. It doesn't do anything for them, but they're going to be going in the water. Why? Why are they going in there? They're being immersed. What, what does that represent so much? They're being immersed. They're being immersed into Christ. They're being immersed into Christ. That's what it symbolizes. You're, so when you put your faith there, you are, immer- you are now in Christ. how God sees you. We come out victorious. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful thing. Oh, I hope you've learned this. To know who you are, okay? I'm going to deal with these next two rather quickly. But the second thing, to be content through Christ, I must learn to treasure Christ. Um, I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, Pastor John Piper taught me this. And it changed my world. Um, his book, Desiring God, I don't know. Has anybody read that book, Desiring God? I didn't know that book. Um, I'd recommend it. Uh, I actually stole my first copy. Um, but I'm in Christ, so it's a, no. Um, <laughs> I don't think, I I do, (laughs) anyways, I devoured the first half of that book, especially the first half, the first couple chapters. I tore, I mean, the pages literally are falling out of my first copy. I've had to buy another book since then. Because he'd said something in the book that was so profound for me. He said, the Christian life is not about duty. And that's how many of you spent, you live your life. Christian life is about do more, do more, do more. It's about duty. It's just duty. I got to do my duty. I got to do, I got to do. I'm not doing enough performance, uh, that. They say, Christian life is not about duty. It is about delight. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about delighting ourselves in Christ. Do you know him like that? Because the heart has this uncanny ability to be able to wrap its heart, you know, itself around something and to appraise it and to value it and even to draw strength from it. And friends... This is one of the keys of the Christian life. 
If you want contentment in whatever your circumstances, you're going to have to learn to treasure him, to savor him, to know him so well that when you think on him, you, you delight in him in such a way that his, his goodness starts to flow into your soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? No one had ever taught me that. No one had ever told me, no one had ever taught me that the Christian life is more about sitting still and delighting in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. When we do that, what happens? We get fueled and we get energized to live the Christian life Jesus calls us to. But that's where the power comes from. Many of you are trying to muster up that power in your own strength and in your own way. And by the way, when you're trying to do things for God to earn his love, those are not the motives he honors anyways. The motive he honors is, Jesus, you have done everything for me. I love you. Fill me up. And now I can't help but live my life and give it for you. That's the Christian life, friends. It's always got to start with delight, treasuring, savoring, drawing from Jesus. You know, I, um, I know th- this isn't going to resonate with a lot of you, but Danielle and I, our favorite food is sushi. In fact, we're going to have sushi today for Valentine's Day. Some people like sushi. Okay, one person. That's great. <laughs> it's probably my wife. I, um, it, we, so I, we love sushi. So if you don't love sushi, just replace it with like lutefisk. I don't know. What, what is your thing? I don't know. Do it. Um, and, you know, but we, we'd always had store-bought, we'd always eaten store-bought, like, sushi, and it was like, it was all right, it was all right. I remember the first time someone said, no, you got to go to a sushi bar. And you sit there, and they make it, and it's fresh, and they put, like, the rice, and the, the fish is, like, so fresh, and uh, avocado, and they put these sprinkly stuff on it, and then you got your, you got your, 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 your soy, and that you put some wasabi in there. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? And that first bite, I mean, it just, it just like melted. It like melted in our mouths. And we've been hooked ever since. And you know, when we experienced that, it was really hard to go back to the store-bought stuff. And now it's like, we want the good stuff. We want the real stuff. Some of us, you're going to the, your life is built on store-bought stuff. When Jesus is saying, I'm right here, come receive me. I am the real thing. And I'm telling you, it's because you are more focused on what you are doing and your performance rather than delighting in who he is. It's why the product isn't matching the label. It's a miserable life. I'm just going to be honest with you. And it's why so many people have grown up and walked away from the church because they don't know what I am talking about. This is one of the secrets. We have to learn to treasure Christ. And I will forever be grateful to John Piper for teaching me that, who said the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And I owe Piper 18 bucks, so, (laughs) for that. Okay, third one to deal with real quick. To be content through Christ, I must learn to trust Christ. I must learn to trust Christ. Let me just read the rest of what Paul says, verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. So he's saying, thank you, church, for sending your gift. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs. I want you to hear this. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And I think he does mean material needs here. But even more than that, I think he means your spiritual needs. 
You want this contentment that Paul's talking about? Starts by knowing who you are, friends. Learning to trust him and treasure him in your heart. I told you about the, the drink my friend bought me. Here's what I didn't realize. I took that first sip. It was watery. It was bitter. It didn't make sense. Product didn't match the label. Then I read the label, and you know what it says right on there? Shake it. I didn't shake it. You shake it up, and all of a sudden, it was like the best drink ever. Now the product matched the label. I just wonder if some of us haven't read the instructions for the Christian faith. These are the things you have to learn. Some of you need to shake it up a little bit. Your life needs to be shaken up a little bit because you thought it was all about you and performing and earning and being good enough, and that is an exhausting way to live your life. And what I am trying to teach you this morning is to learn how to rest. Rest. And how good your God is and what your God has already done for you. Do you know who you are? Can we be a church that knows who we are? Yes. Do you treasure him? Do you know him well enough so when you tra- he is your best thought? Can we do that as a church? And can we trust him no matter what our situation is? In the sovereign hand of our good God, we will trust him and submit to his providence. Can we do that? I'm telling you, friends, this is the secret to contentment. Now, um, if you're getting baptized uh, this morning, I would encourage you to go ahead and get ready and maybe head backstage. We are going to have time to respond and worship. Um, Before we do that, I I do want to pray. Oh, God, I just, I want these things so badly for us. Because I know there's people sitting in here with disquieted, disturbed souls. Christianity maybe hasn't been what they thought it was going to be. And I'm praying we will learn these things. We will even spend the rest of our life dwelling on these things that we've talked about. Who we are, encouraging one another in that, treasuring you more and more each and every day, letting you fill our lives to overflowing with love and joy and peace and good things. And that we will learn to trust you and submit to your good, providential, sovereign hand, Lord, knowing that you have promised to work out all things for our good. And that we can trust you in all things then. And God, we thank you for those who are now going to be getting baptized and they want to make a proclamation of these, of these truths. They want us to know as a church, hey, Jesus has changed my life. And we get to celebrate as a church with them. And as they go into the water and as they come out victorious, I pray we will remember these things we've heard this morning. That this is what has happened to their soul. May we learn it. These things cannot be earned, but they must be learned. Help us to learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.